A young boy once accompanied his mother to worship. During the worship service, the boy was listening very attentively to the message that day. And the preacher's sermon on the crucifixion was so moving that the boy began to sniffle and then he began to cry out loud. His mother became so embarrassed that she whispered to him, Don't take it so seriously. I'm afraid those words, don't take it so seriously, are words that parents have been telling their children for far too long and that have made it really hard for people to not only understand the message of the gospel, but have caused many to live their lives sitting in church trying not to take it so seriously. Now, Jesus took the cross very seriously. Listen to what we hear in Matthew, the 16th chapter, the 21st through the 23rd verses. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. For the next year, Jesus made it clearer and clearer that he was going to the cross And then on Good Friday, he was crucified. And as he was on his way to the cross, he made it very clear that if you don't take the cross seriously, you miss everything God has in store for you. And during this Holy Week, I pray that uh, you will just uh, open your heart to taking the cross seriously. Over 1,500 years ago, on Good Friday, Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, ascended to his pulpit in the Cathedral of Milan and said to his congregation, I find it impossible to speak to you today. The events of Good Friday are too great for human words. Centuries later, the great English poet John Milton sat down to write a poem on the cross and the atonement. After eight introductory lines, he stopped, and he wrote this note, which is included in his collected works. This subject, the author finds to be above the years when he wrote it, and nothing satisfied with what was begun, left it unfinished. Now here was a preacher and a great poet who couldn't finish their works on the cross. Fortunately for us and all humanity, sermons and poems and the works of men on the cross are not a necessity. What was a necessity and what is a necessity was for Jesus to finish his work on the cross. Just think about it. Infinite and eternal loss would be ours if Jesus had stopped short of the cross. No words were ever more essential than the words Jesus spoke from the cross when he said, It is finished. The cross 
is the greatest of all necessities. The worst that can happen if we were deprived of all other necessities is death. But because of the cross, we still have eternal life. But deprive us of the cross and all is lost. It is the greatest of necessities. You know, I've never seen a list of necessities in life that put the cross at the top of the list, but that's where it belongs, isn't it? Without the cross, there is no salvation. And without salvation, life is worse than meaningless. There will be no hope, but only the guarantee that no matter how bad things are, they'll be worse. We would have to face a holy God with nothing but the filthy rags of our own righteousness and be cast into eternal darkness where there will be wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unfinished sermons and unfinished poems on the cross need not disturb us, but we desperately need a finished plan of salvation. We need an atonement for our sin, and so we need the cross. That is why it is such a joy to see Jesus committing himself to finishing his work on the cross. Now, what I hope you will see today is just why it is so important that we do take the cross seriously. We really cannot take the cross seriously enough. First of all, we must take the cross seriously because of who God is. It all ties into who God is. God has lovingly shared with us in his word three things he wants us to know about himself. He wants us to know that he is just. He wants us to know that he is merciful. And he wants us to know that he is love. First of all, he wants us to understand that he is just. Justice is his nature. It always has been, and it always will be. And it's the same with his mercy. He has always been merciful and always will be merciful. And it's not that sometimes he's one way and sometimes he's another way. Sometimes he'll show mercy and sometimes he shows justice. He is always just and he is always merciful. It's not that God was one way in the Old Testament and then changed into a different sort of God in the New Testament. He is eternal and unchangeable. He always has been both just and merciful. Justice, you see, is not part of his nature. It is his nature. Justice means fairness, equality, and truth and abiding by the divine laws that incorporate those things. You've probably seen a picture or a statue of the scales of justice. Many people have the concept under the law that the prosecution's evidence being put on one side of the scale and the defense's evidence of a case being put on the other determines the outcome of the case, and whichever side is greater will determine what the verdict is. It's from this that people have come up with the idea that in judgment, our good deeds will be put on one side of the scales and our bad deeds on the other, 
and whichever outweighs the other will determine our fate in eternity. Well, here's the reality in law. Both the prosecution's evidence and the defense's evidence go on one side of the scale, and justice is on the other side. Both the prosecution's evidence and the defense's evidence is measured against justice, against that side of the scale. Which, here's the reality for us, if we use this analogy uh, for judgment. All our deeds, the good deeds and the bad deeds that we've committed, go on the same side of the scale. And God, who is justice, is on the other side of the scale. And the only way the scales can balance is if you are like God. If you are not equal to God, the side of justice, God's side, will outweigh your actions. Jesus told us one time, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. When it comes to the scales of justice, God's justice will always outweigh your works because your goodness, your truthfulness, your love, your faithfulness, anything will never hold a candle to God's justice. I learned this from Pastor Robert Morris this past week. The word iniquity helps us to understand God's justice. One of the characteristics of justice is equality. Iniquity means sin. And if you just change the second I in iniquity to an E, you wind up with the word inequity, which means unequal. As long as there is any iniquity, there is inequity, unequalness with God, and we come up short. God is merciful. Justice, uh, now justice means getting what you deserve, and mercy means not getting what you deserve. And mercy is also God's nature all the time, always has been, always will be. All through the Old Testament, God is merciful. From the beginning of time to the end of time, God is merciful. Now, in Ezekiel 33, 11, we see mercy. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back, he calls. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? And then Second Peter uh, 3, 9, we read these words. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come repentance. He doesn't want a one of us to perish. He wants us all to be with him in heaven. In Psalm 136, every verse begins and contains the words, his mercy endures forever. Now, God is just, always has been, always will be. God is merciful always has been, always will be. 
God is love, always has been, and always will be. Now, I want to give you here the definition of biblical love, or the biblical definition of love, you might say. And it's a a love that can be commanded by God, and we can, of the will, do it. And it's the kind of love that God has for us also. Desiring the good for the other person. This is where both God's justice and mercy come together. And we see it just all summed up in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now listen to this. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Have you ever noticed that? God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world. You know why? Because the world is judged already. The world has already been sentenced to death. And into this world, sentenced to death, God has sent his Son. You see, because we are sinners, we have to die and we cannot enter into heaven. Our sentence is death and hell. Justice requires punishment. Justice has already sentenced us to an eternity in hell. But remember the scales that are always going to be tilted toward justice because we aren't equal with God? Well, tell me this. What do you think would happen if God in Jesus Christ stepped around, stepped off of the scale on the justice side, even though he is justice and he remains there. But in Christ Jesus, stepped around from the justice side of the scale and got on the scale with us. You see, all of a sudden, since he is God and he's now on our side of the scale as well as on the justice side of the scale, our iniquities and our inequities are satisfied. This is why someone can be saved on their deathbed after living a life of sin and still face eternity in heaven instead of hell. It's not our good works, but it's God's mercy that makes this possible. But his justice is still involved in it. You see, It is at the cross, and only at the cross, that his mercy mercy and his justice are satisfied. Through the cross, he gives you justice. You are condemned, and a price must be paid. He gives you mercy by taking your condemnation upon himself. You see, before you received what Jesus did for you on the cross, You were already condemned to hell and there was nothing that could be done by any person or you to deliver you from your sentence of death. But now, because of the cross, not just because of God's mercy, not just because of God's justice, but because of the cross and what happened there, 
there at that point, he can give you, because of the cross, he can give you what you don't deserve. You see, it's not just that his justice condemned you to hell and his mercy sends you to heaven. His justice and his mercy have sentenced you to heaven. Have you ever noticed this in 1 John 1, 9? It says, if we confess our sins, now hear this, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Do you see? His justice is involved in our forgiveness. Through the cross, and God's justice being executed on Jesus instead of you, you're now sentenced to heaven. Just as you had been sentenced to hell, you, because of God's justice, are now sentenced to heaven. You have to go because Jesus has taken your sentence of death, and so now you have the sentence of life. At the beginning of this message, I mentioned from Matthew 26 on, Jesus made it clear that he had to go to Jerusalem and die on the cross. And finally, shortly before he went, he told Peter, Peter, if I don't die, you don't live. Because you see, the justice of God required a price. And Jesus came to pay that price so that we could live. After World War I, the United States allocated funds for orphans in Europe. There are many orphans following the war. One orphanage had over 1,300 orphans whose parents had been killed in the war. And one day, a very thin, frail man showed up at that orphanage. He walked in holding the hand of a little girl who was also very thin. He told the head of the orphanage, This is my daughter. I want you to take care of her and give her a home and food and clothing. The head of the orphanage asked, Are you her father? And the man said, Yes. The head of the orphanage replied, I'm so sorry. We only have limited funds and we can't take uh, a child if one of the parents is still alive. The man said, You mean if I was dead, you'd give my daughter a home and give her food and you'd take care of her? Well, yes, if you die. Then we'll take care of her, the head of the orphanage said. And then as the head of the orphanage started to leave, the father picked up his little girl. He hugged her and he kissed her. And then he took her hand and he put it in the hand of the orphanage head and said, I'll arrange it. And he went out and hung himself. There was a time many years ago when Jesus put my hand in the Father's hand and he said, I'll arrange it. And he went out and he hung himself on a cross on a hill called Calvary 
so that God could be fully merciful and fully just at the same time. I'm so grateful that Jesus paid for my salvation in full. You see, God was not just merciful with me. He was completely just in forgiving me all of my sins because Jesus paid the price for me in full. But let me tell you this. He also paid the price for your sins in full. And I want to encourage you this Holy Week to consider this. You maybe made a childhood commitment to follow Jesus. But maybe you were told, don't take it too seriously. And if that's the case, maybe it's time now to make an adult decision to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I encourage you, if you haven't taken him and his cross seriously, it's time to do so. Give your life to Jesus. He's very seriously gave his life for you. He very seriously paid the price. Won't you very seriously receive it? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.